Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. This is our second week out of four. We're we're doing some Bible teaching about the very core of who we are as a church family. And in some ways, the core values are very much individualistic in that they are biblical principles that challenge each person who loves Jesus, or in some ways gives clarity if if you're investigating faith and wondering, what would it look like if I decided to become a Christian? You're going to see a lot of core stuff here that Christians are called toward, and hopefully it provides clarity and value for you uh, as well. But particularly if you already know that you love Jesus and he is the savior of the world, um, these are kind of our marching orders. It can be tempting to say um, when you show up at football practice, the fourth practice this week at the end of summer before school starts, and coach says, okay, start off with 10 laps and then 50 push-ups and then 20 I hate you bobs. And Ah, coach, you say that every time we start practice. Ah! But there are fundamental rudiments to a lot of things of life. And our desire to be entertained or distracted makes us sometimes think, oh, tell me something new. Which I've told you guys for four years now. Tell me something new is how you start a cult. All I have for you is 2,000-year-old doctrine. And if you're tempted in your consumeristic mindset to think that's boring, just wait. There's nothing less boring than Jesus transforming a dark world into a light one and calling you into that. So last week, here's briefly what we covered. The first core value of uh, our church is to connect in authentic relationships, and we briefly, talking about the one another's, we said that correction is hard from a friend often ineffective altogether from a stranger. So we talked about a reason to come close, to build friendships, to connect with each other. And encouragement has a greater impact from someone who's walked with me. That when someone says, hey, it's going to be all right, if, they've, if we aren't really friends, that might have value. But if we've been in group together, we've been friends, we've been in the same Sunday school the last 10 years or something, and we've, they know my prayer request. They've prayed for me. They've been in my home during tough times, and I've been in their home. Uh, it means a much bigger deal when you say, God is on his throne. He's going to get you through this, and I'm going to help you. I'm going to be with you. We're going to be with this, in this together. Encouragement is greater in its impact if someone's walked with me. Or instruction, Bible teaching, It's laser-focused when the teacher and the student know each other. Laser-focused when the teacher and the student know each other. Not just what we're doing now is macro, right? I do my very best to tell you what God said from his word, and I shoot it out to everybody. To a certain degree, it's a matter of efficiency. If 100 people can listen to one person talking, it's about math. But man, is it good when we're having coffee with somebody and they're sharing a struggle in their soul and our friend is able to share something from scripture that's true, that's laser focused right where I had a need, right where I needed comfort, right where I needed correction or rebuke, right? So there's another benefit of connection. Or service and care, pastoral care. When I say pastoral, by the way, this, this word has gotten brutalized. Pastoral care in the Bible, like, It doesn't just mean the shepherds. 
Because all the one another's of scripture are for the sheep. The sheep care for one another. So the metaphor breaks down at some point. Does that make sense? If the sheep are commanded to care for each other, we're all providing care, okay? But pastoral just means related to sheep. It doesn't mean pastor has to do it. (laughs) It means related to sheep. So caring for one another, these decisions are active instead of reactive when we know each other. We can just jump in and serve because I know your story. I know how your week was. So I can just jump in and serve. I don't have to wait to hear through an email that you're hurting. We're in relationship and you told me that you're hurting. I saw it kind of firsthand so I can care for you better. That's a little bit of what we covered last week. Now our second core value Grow in Christian maturity. In case I, didn't, I haven't said this before, core values are kind of like, what does the healthy Christian life look like? If you wanted a cheat sheet, if you want a, a simple, not easy, but simple, connect, grow, serve, go. If you devote yourself to those four things, you, first of all, you'll see them all through scripture, but this is a very well-rounded Christian life. Grow in Christian maturity. Today, we're, we're talking about spiritual growth, and I'll tell you right now, Uh, If you're really A-type, you're not going to like this sermon because spiritual growth is so broad that I can't possibly put it into one sermon. Amen? This is why we preach every week. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we have groups, why we encourage people to serve and to give. There's so many things related to spiritual growth. It's not going to fit. I'm going to just be highlighting a few things that we emphasize in a weekend service. Here's the junk drawer phrase that you need to know about spiritual growth before I get into those points. Anytime Jesus tells a Christian to do something and that Christian obeys, they grow, period. Does this tackle doubt face on? Jesus says to do something. Lord, I'm not so sure. Do it anyway. I'm trustworthy. I walk on water. I'm helping you walk on water. Maybe you should do it. Right? Anytime Jesus tells a Christian to do something and that Christian obeys, they grow. Because what just got stretched? Your faith muscle. You and I, I, well, okay, not you. You don't do this. I do this all the time. I think my faith's going to grow without my faith being stretched. Is that silly or what? Pastor Greg is silly. Don't ask the Lord to grow your faith and then think something tough's not going to come. That faith muscle's going to get stretched. And we choose to obey when we're confused because we know his character. He's never led me astray before. And I'm talking about the Bible right now. I'm talking about Christians reading the Bible and commands of God are clear and we still have questions and we're like, God, I don't know why you're telling me to do that. I'm confused. But I go to my community of faith and I reach out in case I'm misunderstanding the scripture, which is a great thing to do. And they do seem to understand it. And they go, yeah, no, that's an important part of obedience. But I still have some kind of a hang-up. I want to encourage you to do it anyway. Uh, Now, I'm going to date myself. But everybody who's like "Mm, 30 and younger, 25 and younger, I have to tell you about this scene because you haven't seen it. Um, In the third Indiana Jones movie, so I don't know, what is this, 87, 88? There's a point where Indiana Jones is trying to find the Holy Grail. That's a whole theological mess unto itself. But that's the point of the movie. He's trying to find this cup that supposedly caught the blood of Christ out of his uh, wound. Anyway, and if you drink from the Holy Grail, you get eternal life, which is ludicrous because the gospel is the Holy Grail. But anyway, he should have been looking for a Bible that entire movie. That's another sermon. So, 
There is a point where Indiana Jones has to go across this chasm that looks like it's 50 feet wide. He cannot possibly jump it. But the clues that have been given to him help him to realize, wait, this is a faith barrier. And he realizes, I need to take a step out into what looks like certain death. I need to take a step because there's something here that I can't see with my eyes. And that is the test. Am I willing to take a step where I cannot see it? Thank you, Indiana Jones. We appreciate the sermon. All right. So, same principle. Mr. Miyagi, again. I know, the 80s just did all our preaching for us. What can I say? Daniel-san, in case you haven't seen the movie, asks Mr. Miyagi, would you please teach me karate? And instead of what, what Daniel-san thought he was going to get, he gets chore after chore after chore. Wax the floor, wax the car, wax on, wax off. Sam the floor, paint the fence. All of these things that the whole time Mr. Miyagi knows is teaching him muscle memory and building the muscles for certain defensive moves in karate. And there's this amazing moment where he says, show me paint the fence. And while he's doing it, he attacks him and his paint the fence motion successfully deflects these punches that are coming toward his face and chest. And Daniel-san realizes in his moment of total frustration, why aren't you teaching me karate? This is what I asked. This is what you agreed to. He realized that he has been led very, very well by his rabbi, I mean his sensei, the entire time. Welcome to the Christian life. This is why we obey when we don't understand always, right? Okay. So I hope you have your big boy pants on because this is going to be tough. These four things are going to be, we're going to feel some rebuke in some of these Sing like he's worthy. Have you ever seen in the Bible where it says, sing when you feel like it? It's not in there. 66 books. I really, I looked. I looked. You know what else I did not find in all 66 books? If, if at church, if they're playing jazz and you don't like it, just press a button and then there's easy listening. And then there's sounds from the 70s if you press the button again. And then there's classic rock. No, they don't do that at church where you just press a button and you get what you want. Growing up Baptist, we call that the worship wars. We get upset at the people on stage for not choosing the songs we like, like they're a radio or something. But I'm pretty sure scripture, and we're about to go through some scriptures, tells us that corporate singing and individual singing are about the beauty and preciousness of our Savior. It is a response to who he is. Uh, I even was, I heard, caught wind of and, and heard a little bit about a church years ago that flipped what a lot of Christians do on its head. They did all the singing at the end of the service because the, the pastor's philosophy was, I'm going to open this book until you're so overwhelmed with his goodness, you can't do anything but sing. Fascinating. Sing like he's worthy. Uh, guys, we, this is so important that we devote significant time to it on Sunday morning because it's all throughout scripture. Look at this. Zephaniah 3.17, your favorite book of the Bible, no doubt. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with glad. Isn't that awesome? 
who he is, where he is, who he is, and he's taking delight in me? With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God sings. He's a singing God. And God is not bound inside one culture at one time. He's not in 1992 learning how to polka. All different types of music, all different types of song, different, right? Have you read Psalm 150? All these different instruments, praise him with this kind of instrument, praise him with that kind of instrument, praise him with singing, praise him with loud cymbals. He's a singing God, and he sings, rejoicing, an overflow of his joy in his treasured, prized possession, his own people. That's intense, and that should overflow us with the love of God because we know how rebellious the history is of the people of God. We have rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. And even though he goes to a cross to bring this about, he rejoices over you. Because that's how you feel about your own kid. You grab your own kid's arm right before they run out in front of a truck, their rebellion, their decision, and you involve yourself to save their life. You loved them before that, and you love them after that. Our God is a singing God. Turn with me to page 455 in the hardback. We're going to the ninth psalm. We're going to read the whole thing. This thing's intense. Psalm 9. Written by David. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all the marvelous things you have done. I will be filled with joy because of you. So you see this theme now, rejoicing, filled with joy. I will sing praises to your name, almost high. My enemies retreated, they staggered and died when you appeared, for you have judged in my favor. From your throne you have judged with fairness. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have erased their names forever. The enemy is finished in endless ruins. The cities you uprooted are now forgotten. But the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from his throne. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. Sing praises to the Lord who reigns in Jerusalem. Tell the world about his unforgettable deeds. For he who avenges murder cares for the helpless. Did you guys hear that? Read your Old Testament, please. 13. Lord, have mercy on me. See how my enemies torment me. Snatch me back from the jaws of death. Save me so I can praise you publicly at the, Jerus- at the Jerusalem's gate. See, I want you to save me so that I can praise you. I don't just want to be saved. I want an excuse to give you the glory you deserve. That's all throughout. That's a whole sermon unto itself. The Bible says that over and over. 15. The nations have fallen into the pit they dug for others. Their own feet have been caught in the trap they set. The Lord is known for his justice. The wicked are trapped by their own deeds. The wicked will go down to the grave. This is the fate of all the nations who ignore God. 
But the needy will not be ignored forever. The hopes of the poor will not always be crushed. Arise, O Lord, do not let mere mortals defy you. Judge the nations. Make them tremble in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know they are merely human. If you want to ask yourself, what is a psalm about? Ask yourself, what got mentioned more than anything? And what got mentioned more than anything is God rightly and justly ruling from his throne. So the psalm is about God's justice. So if it's about God's justice, why does he talk about singing three or four times? Singing is rooted in who God is. I start with who God is, and who he is makes my heart overflow with joy, and the overflow of joy is song. Colossians 3.16, New Testament. Let the message about Christ, the gospel, that he came and died to save sinners, in all its richness, let that gospel fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Again, we see gratitude, and we're seeing song and praise flow out of what? Who God is. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not just that he came and died on a cross to save you. Implicit in that is, how merciful is he that he would die for someone like us? God's goodness is revealed, and I respond with song. Revelation 5, 1044 in the hardback. Revelation 5. Because some of y'all don't believe me, so we're going to keep doing this. Revelation 5. Last book of the Bible, it's visions that John had of the future. Look at this, and I'm going to be quick because I know I'm already at 10 o'clock. But hey, if I miss the last three points and I get you all to sing to Jesus, we're going to call it good. Revelation 5. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Actually, I'm going to cliff notes this. John sees a vision of the future where a just God is going to finally dole out wrath against evil. So when you and I see the evening news and we're wondering where is God, part of the answer is that in his wisdom and in his love, he is being patient with sinners like you and me. We may not like that he's patient, right? We all want God to be patient with our sin. We don't like it when he's patient with somebody else's sin. He's about to dole out justice on the nations and no one is worthy to open the scroll that represents that judgment. And so John begins to weep because God's right, pure, beautiful future, it's threatened. Wait, God's going to make this beautiful city. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no pain. There'll be no death. But no one's worthy to open the scroll. And the answer was the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. He walks up, nail-pierced hands, and he opens the scroll, the only one who could. And so what do they do? Verse 9, they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll, break its seals, and open it, for you were slaughtered. And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Jump down to 12, look what happens. And they sang in a mighty chorus. Verse 13, last two words, they sang. They keep singing in heaven because singing is not some right now 
cute little cultural phenomenon that we like rock or we like jazz or we like bluegrass. Singing is eternal. Singing is spiritual. It was before humanity and it'll be in all eternity because our God sings. He's worthy of song and a vision of the future already says we're going to be singing to him. Brothers and sisters, our first 25 or 30 minutes here is practice for heaven. And we are right now communing with a God who right now is on his throne and who right now is worthy. Here's a little rebuke. Here's where you put your big boy pants on. I heard a pastor say this 10 years ago. It's been haunting me ever since. My concern, some of you guys do it, not all the time, but it does happen. It does happen in churches everywhere. When we do not make it a priority to be in the room for singing, but we make a big deal about the sermon, oh, that's kind of the main event. All that was just previews. Okay, there's a new Jurassic Park movie coming up. Okay, there's a new Mission Impossible movie coming up. Awesome. But you know, those are the previews. If we're 15 minutes late, I'm going to come in and I'm still going to see the main feature. The problem is the Bible never, ever says Greg's sermon is the main feature. In fact, the sermon and songs, I want us to view them a little bit like a right foot and a left foot. They, they, they complement each other very well. The sermon is where we get fed, Lord willing. Song is where we give. So to a consumeristic culture, which one of those is harder? Yeah, I, I, as an American, I should have a t-shirt. I are a consumer. That's me. This is all about me. Singing, and I'm not saying this so you feel judged. You're like, oh, I don't really enjoy singing, and now I feel judged. No, 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 no. I am telling you in advance, song is going to be harder than listening to a sermon, period. It is going to be spiritually harder for you because it is a call to give something to God out of your rejoicing, out of, your, out of who he is. And maybe I had a really rough Saturday. And maybe I overcommitted myself and we went from thing to thing. And maybe I come in here on Sunday morning and I've not done anything recently to remind my heart of the goodness of God. And so I'm a little bit spiritually dry. Oh, I'm the only one who's done that? Okay, I see how it is. Under the bus, Greg's the only one. No, we've all done it. We've all done it. And so we come in here and it's time to give to God. And I, I need a minute just to be reminded that he's good. We got to dust off the cobwebs of praise. There are cobwebs galore because I've been distracted by everything other than his goodness. Why do men, since the dawn of time, end up writing love songs to the woman they love? Why do we do this? Why is it one of the most common behaviors amongst musicians? Why? What if it's in us? What if that's how God wired us? What if it's a part of being made in his image? that we sing and give praise to what we value and to what we adore. Secondly, want to grow spiritually? Sing like he's worthy and pray like he's big. You guys have received this sermon many times if you're here regularly, so I'll be hyper fast with this one. Pray like he's big. Jesus said to his followers, pray like this. Our father in New Jersey... Did I read that right? No. Well, New Jersey's not that important. Our father in the White House. No? Where's a really important place? Oh. Our father in heaven. 
May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And when you read all the dead guys who wrote a lot of books, they'll tell you that those opening statements are like a hanger. And every idea of the rest of the Lord's Prayer hangs off of that. Your glory, your kingdom come soon. Here are all these examples of what that might look like. Prayer is about a big God. He is capable, he is loving, and that's why we prioritize it here on Sunday mornings. We prioritize song because he is worthy. We prioritize prayer because he is big and because he is good. Like all of uh, Disney movies that made a lot of money, Disney did a spinoff TV series to make even more money. And I remember watching as a kid this episode where a little child from the gutter stumbles across the lamp and rubs the lamp and has a genie. But this child is always on, on the brink of starvation in total poverty. And the genie says, you get three wishes, anything you want. And he's really excited to help this kid out, whatever. And he says, ask for anything you want. And the child says, um, a sandwich? And the genie says, no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I, I, can, I can give you any wish, anything you ask for in the whole world. Ask for something big. And he says, um, a big sandwich? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we pray exactly according to how big our view of God is. Our prayers are an exact reflection of the size of our Christ. So when I have a small view, I have a small prayers. Big prayers come from a big view of a big God. So those big requests, honor him. Pray like he is big. Give like he is king if you wanna grow spiritually. He is worthy, he is big, he is king. Embrace these things and take action because of them. You wanna grow spiritually? Give like he is king. Acts 2.42, for the sake of time, I'm gonna tell you what's going on. This is a snapshot into the early church. The Holy Spirit has just filled the very first Christians a matter of just weeks after Jesus was crucified, buried and raised to new life. Just weeks later, he ascends into heaven and says, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. And the text says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, meeting in homes, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. And we go, wow, this is exciting. It talks about after that, anybody who had land or other resources that were available, they just sold them and met the needs of the poor among them. We see that later in Barnabas' example, who sells land and gives it, puts it at the feet of the elders. How cool, and there are a lot of other scripture verses we could go to, how cool that the church, freshly born, immediately goes, huh, my physical resources are not the center of the universe. I'm really excited that I've been a good Jew my whole life, and I just found my Messiah, and wow, this has given a lot of clarity about giving. This has given a lot of clarity about generosity. A generous father, out of his love to humanity, gave the son. He's a giving God. And we are now marked by him. We have his DNA. Look at this. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Most of Jesus' parables aren't one sentence, but here we are. All that God is offering through Jesus Christ, this Christian life, it's worth selling everything for. So everything else gets second place. Everything else gets second place. Your racial identity takes a back seat. Your gender identity takes a back seat. Your national identity takes a back seat. White collar, blue collar, no collar, back seat. Well, I'm proud to be back seat. Well, I'm proud that back seat. It's not bad, it's just not primary. This is what he's saying. Everything up. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Everything of earth, it'll still be there, but it'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. In the light of his grace, it's secondary. You and I who love Jesus, we can give because money cannot be primary in my heart. Jesus took that spot. And boy, is life better now. Money is a terrible master. When I was in seventh grade, you guys will be totally shocked by this. I don't even think Emily knows this story. My hyper-passionate, act-now, think-never personality, there was a girl that I thought was cute in seventh grade, and before my parents knew it, I had purchased this big, heart-shaped box of chocolates and like a little necklace thing. I think I got her a Valentine's. It was ludicrous. It was absolutely ludicrous. And I had it all lined out on my desk in, in my uh, bedroom the night before, and I'm like carefully planning this ludicrously extravagant and scary assortment of gifts to declare my eternal love to a girl. Are you ready? That didn't even know I liked her. <laughs> yeah, creeper. Yeah. It was about to be really, really bad. And by the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ, a mother with a lot of wisdom and gentleness talked me down from the ledge. And so I decided not to, like, just a little bit of rationality. You know, she, she doesn't actually know that you like her yet. Maybe you should tell her first before. Thank God mother got through to me. Oh my goodness, that could have been a disaster. But I will tell you, because I didn't give them away, those chocolates were delicious. Now, you want to grow spiritually? Give like he is king. Pray like he is big. What was the first one? I'm going in backwards now. Sing like he's worthy. Repent like he is good. Repent is everybody's in Christianity's least favorite word because it means I'm wrong. Right? If you're new to the Bible, repent means to agree with God about reality and to change one's own thoughts and behaviors. I'm going to take a U-turn now. Lord, you are right, and I am wrong. I am sorry, Lord, and you apologize, maybe to a person, maybe to God, maybe to both. But repentance is when you actually about face 180 degrees and say, not only was I wrong factually, or I was wrong ethically, or both, but I have to change that's why we don't like repentance. It costs us something. Take a look at this. So Solomon finished the temple of the Lord 
as well as the royal palace. He completed everything he had planned to do in the construction of the temple and the palace. Then one night, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. We don't have time for it, but the people of God are now the temple of God. That's what he means when he puts the Holy Spirit inside you. Anyway, at times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name, what's his name? Christ, you are if you love Jesus, Christians, okay, the ones called by his name, will humble themselves, so quit railing on Republicans and Democrats and waiting for them to bow the knee. Knock it off. When we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, he will hear from heaven, he will forgive our sins, he will restore our land. What a promise. We want restoration of land, but we don't want to repent. We want our country to know Jesus, but we don't want to repent of our own junk. <laughs> and there's an order to it. I start by humbling myself. That's not our favorite thing. Humility, prayer, seeking who God is. And now that I see who he is, I can turn from my wickedness. If the Bible's dusty, I'm never going to repent. I don't even know who my God is. What an unbelievable promise. Psalm 95, I'm going to do this lightning fast. I keep telling myself this is going to be fast. It's a lie, but I'm trying. Look at this. Yeah, I need to repent of all my lying. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. Listen to this. You've heard this in the book of Hebrews, if you've been around the Bible. If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Massa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them, and I said, they are a people whose hearts will turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Heaven and hell, being a part of the kingdom or saying, no thanks, I don't want to be a part of the kingdom, have a linchpin. That linchpin is, are we ever able to turn away from all of the sin of self and my own amazing wisdom about how I think the world ought to be, Am I ever able to turn away from that and say, God, you are right, I am wrong. Look at this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. The Proverbs are really concise, aren't they? Confess and turn from, they will receive mercy. So repentance is a normal part of the Christian life. We are those who receive mercy, and mercy isn't deserved, it's undeserved. 
Okay, Bible trivia time. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Who said that? This is John the Baptist. Two points to whoever had it. Now for two more points. Who is he talking to? All of you theologically astute people jumped in and said us. You're right, that's good. But specifically in his context, who is John the Baptist rebuking? Pharisees. Pharisees. The pastors the theologians, the good kids. Yeah, the external behavior, that group. He says, prove by the way you live that you have repented. If you want a huge, awesome extrapolation of this one sentence, the entire book of James extrapolates this. Genuine faith manifests itself in actual behavior that shows that repentance was true and real. So I want you to imagine, and it's not going to be hard. I want you to imagine taking an illegal U-turn. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and give you the opportunity to lie. Anybody seen a no U-turn sign and just about had a fit? Because they put them in the worst places. It's like some jerk who didn't get enough hugs from his dad when he was a kid went around and said, where are the places where people would most need to take a U-turn? Let's put up a sign there. And so if you're unethical like me, you look this way, you look that way. I'm not in anybody's way. Okay. What if you were in a culture that said, changing your mind and changing your heart to agree with God is stupid and evil? I know that's hard to imagine. What if the culture that makes the rules does not care about the laws of God and God has told you to take a U-turn and the culture says that's not allowed here? Now what? We're actually gonna study that this summer because that is the entire book of Daniel. When the culture is evil, the culture is perverse, and the children of God know exactly what they are supposed to do. Brothers and sisters, if you want to grow spiritually, repent like he's good. I only repent because he's good. When I see that he's good, I go, oh, I'm not good. I should get him on board with his agenda. Pray like he's big. Sing like he's worthy. Repent like he's good. What was the third one? I don't have notes this week. Give like he's king. There are so many other behaviors, if you're a Christian, that'll help you grow spiritually. But let me submit these four to you that we focus on on Sunday morning. Man, these are good for our soul. Man, these are good for our soul. Let me pray for us and then we're gonna do some announcements. Jesus, we confess to you that our distraction and our desire for comfort are at war with our souls. They're at war with um, obeying you as you call us toward new things, as you call us to different thinking and different behavior and different words and different passions. God, we confess our pride that we really think that we've got it all together on our own and we're oftentimes not seeking your face. Um, 
God, there are so many distractions to these behaviors that are healthy and that are all about following you that would help us to grow spiritually. Um, But Lord, although the flesh is weak, the spirit is willing. And God, our spirit-born selves, those of us who know you, we really do want to be more like you, Jesus. We really do want to honor you, Jesus, individually, as families, as a church family. We want to honor you, God. And we need your encouragement. We need your Holy Spirit's power. We need encouragement from the family of God. God, would you help us to be a people who grow, who are not stagnant in any way, not a spiritual country club. Help us to be in that, that guy in the gym who actually enjoys being there and gets the results that come naturally from enjoying being there. We ask for this because of your goodness. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, some announcements. Well, good morning, ARCF family. I got a quick announcement video for you, so we're gonna jump right into it. So last week, I kicked off with some announcements for our summer calendar. And today, I have an addition for you. Your addition to the summer calendar is an exciting new event we have coming up called Sunset Cinema. We have a big inflatable movie screen that's gonna allow us to watch some movies underneath the stars. It's gonna be held on Friday, June 10th at 8 p.m. on the lawn right in front of the Connection Center. This is a free community event, so please make sure you invite your friends and your neighbors. We're gonna have snacks, long games, and then around 8.30, we're gonna watch the movie Tangled. It is going to be a blast, so please make sure you mark your calendars for Friday, June 10th, and don't forget to bring your lawn chairs or blanket. All right, your next two announcements are quick reminders. The first reminder is that the Women's Retreat is coming up in September. It's gonna be held from Friday, September 16th to Sunday, September 18th at Diamond Arrow Camp in beautiful Nevada City. So ladies, if you would like to get more information on this event or register, please make sure you head over to the district website listed below to sign up and get information. Or you can also go see Mary, who's gonna be in the foyer right after the service, and she can help you out with any questions you may have. So again, that is Friday, September 16th to Sunday, September 18th. So ladies, make sure you mark your calendars. Now your second reminder, I don't know if you heard about this, but Bible Day Camp is just a few weeks away. So if you have not signed up to help yet and you would like to help, or if you have not registered your kids yet, please make sure you head over to myarcf.com forward slash BDC to sign up. And in the meantime, let's make sure that we are praying for God to do big things in the kids that will be attending this event. All right, church family. See, that was quick and painless, but that's all I have for you. As always, please make sure you grab yourself a bulletin, read it left to right, front to back for more events and more information. Go find something Jesus told you to do still got reservations about, you still got questions. As soon as I open my everyone. eyes, it's the same voice on the up. inside, already so heavy, weighing on my soul.